0: hi there just your value through vulnerability host gary turner wrapping up this excellent conversation with kirsten holder of kickstart development just a few of my key reflections i wanted to share with you was i think one of the biggest ones of the whole podcast series since we started in may to be honest was this realization that in the in the nhs you have to work with people from different teams depending on what shift you're on. Um, And whilst that in itself isn't particularly um, innovative, the fact that you have to potentially deal with life and death situations with people that you may not normally sit with or know that well at all, that for me is quite a mind blowing reflection to be thinking about. And if we think about it in the context of corporate or when you're working with teams as Kirsten does, you know, we, we tend to treat the workplace as something that's far more critical than actually life and death situations that they deal with in the NHS, yet they are able to come together in a genuinely critical situation to serve that particular patient the best way they can. So I think it's a real challenge to organizations to be treating their employees, their stakeholders, society at large with the same level of criticality that the NHS does for their patients, because it's, there's clearly a huge disconnect. There's a raising consciousness coming around movements like conscious capitalism. There's a lot more talk about love in the workplace and leading with love rather than fear, etc. So there's definitely a positive shift coming. But I've just thought that that reflection around the NHS is exceptionally powerful and one we should all be taking to heart, I feel, in our, our own lives and at work. Uh, also found it interesting learning about Professor Michael West and his work on compassionate leadership. That's not someone that I've come across before. And I found it really interesting uh, with this being a human centred podcast that Kirsten spoke to a link between open and honest communication, communicating clearly, knowing our job role and purpose and trusting each other implicitly. You know, there is a link between those traits showing up within teams um, that deeply human centred aspects of being teams um, and the link between patient mortality and a group of people working closely together. So, you know, the evidence is out there you know i, I like to challenge every now and again uh, the evidence-based approach to things but i think the evidence is there it proves that there is a causative link between us being more human coming together with vulnerability with openness with trust and collaboration and the outcomes that we can deliver it's such an obvious thing yet so many organizations and so many leaders do not create environments to allow that to flourish so really really interesting reflection there i also enjoy the fact that Kirsten does, um, leads these reflective debriefs, which I sound, they sound really powerful. Uh, we use pictures and photos for um, simulation and stimulation of conversation. So it takes you below the surface level answer that maybe most people would normally give. Um, and she also talks about asking what the emotion is that's strongest for you over the past period, which I think is a wonderful question um, to be asking people and, and as a way to facilitate an open, human-centered and safe conversation. So there's so much to take away in this conversation. I've really enjoyed spending this time with with Kirsten, and I hope that you did too. And as always, grateful for any feedback you may offer on the iTunes podcast app. Uh, Hopefully, we can try and reach a few more people around. What I believe, um, you know, we're coming to the absolute right time to be talking about these human centred, deeply human areas of our human experience, particularly as we start to augment technology more and more. You can learn more about me personally at thelisteningorganisation.co.uk. Or at Gary Turner Zero on Twitter, or Gary Turner on LinkedIn, and if, uh, yeah, do have a look. If any of the, my work areas and passions resonate, do get in touch, and uh, look forward to hearing and speaking with you on the next episode. Cheers. Hi there and welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to bringing the human back into humanity. Today, really grateful to have welcomed Kirsten Holder, who's the owner and founder of Kickstart Development. known Kirsten for the last couple of years, as so many of us these days, we met on social media. And some of the stuff that I really took away from the conversation with Kirsten today was one around the fact that when she set up her own business a number of years ago, she really wanted to live and die by her own sword. And I think it's a really powerful metaphor. Whether we work in in big corporate or whether we set up our own businesses, I think there is something about there seems to be a consciousness um, awakening in people wanting to make a contribution bigger than themselves. And whether that be, as I say, in corporate or setting up on their own, people are definitely coming together with the advent of technology to be able to try and make that difference. Um, so I think it's a really exciting development that's coming around. Um, I also enjoyed learning from Kirsten. She spoke about the fact that when she was training uh, in the legal system or she worked in the legal system she realized that actually you can only have access to the legal system if you have money and that was something that was really values misaligned um, for kirsten so she felt although it's a really interesting job she enjoyed working in the industry because she was met values misaligned she felt that she couldn't stay in there and i think there's a really powerful message there for for all of us that are listening And finally, something that's inspiring Kirsten right now is psychological safety. And I was really grateful to have Amy Edmondson from Harvard Business School on to episode 29 of this podcast. So if you'd like to learn more about psychological safety, do go back to that podcast, episode 29. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with Kirsten, holder of Kickstart Development. and We would look forward, as always, to any feedback you may be willing to offer. Thanks. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a human-centered podcast dedicated to put the human back into humanity. And today, I am really grateful to welcome Kirsten Holder from Kickstart Development to the podcast. Good morning, Kirsten.
1: Hello, Gary. Really
0: nice to be here. Yeah. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm very good, thank you. The sun is out and that always makes me feel so much better.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. As we get going, would you mind letting the listeners know, for those that may not know you, what is your background? No, what are you doing for work? What are the sort of things you do, Kirsten? And also, what are you passionate about?
1: Uh, so I set up a business called Kickstart Development. It's coming up to 13 years in June this year. Um, and I started my career in insurance um i was a call center handler so if you crashed your car you rang me up and i helped you get it fixed and a bit like one of those moments where you know you don't necessarily know what's going to come next but it turns out to be a bit of a sort of defining moment and um, i had the chance to get involved in some training some business training and started it and just thought oh my word i love this and i was managing teams at the time and i really loved managing teams And the idea that you could coach people and you know do some training and that they would be more confident and would be able to do a better job and would enjoy work more was just like blew my mind completely um so i I stayed there for um gosh it must have been about seven or eight years and got involved in much more sort of leadership training stuff then went to work in the nhs so I worked in the NHS and was a, like a training manager there, which was another real defining moment. That was where I think I, I just felt like I got it. I, I got the environment working with a group of people who are so passionate about what they do. And, and yet still, you know, the stuff that would cripple me and I wouldn't be able to get out of bed the next day. Then they're they're just up and out and doing the same amazing thing the next day. Um, so I think that I was I was there for four years and I just thought I can't not continue to work here. Um And then uh, set up my own business, which I'd always wanted to do. I was always wanted to run a business. Um, I, I, I almost like almost I could live and die by my own sword, if that makes sense, that, Mm -hmm. you know, run something completely on my values and see whether it would work. And, you know, the decisions that I made would either be good ones and it would work or would be bad ones and it wouldn't. Um, And, yeah, and then through that, so main areas are leadership development and um, working with teams, right, from new teams who um, are sort of at the very beginning of their journey and then looking for you know who are we what's our what are our values what's our strategy to almost like teams in crisis so maybe teams that have gone through big mergers or teams that are just utterly exhausted so I'll work with them to think about how how they can get their energy back. Um, and I now work with about 70% of my time is an and then work with people like um Nestle with um, a software development company um work with uh, ice cream manufacturer um uh, a little bit of work with schools um with a couple of charities so yeah everything to me but always around leadership and teams and in you said
0: That's is such an interesting background thank you for sharing that i think what, what I'm really interested to to sort of go back to um, for a second, if we can. So you did a degree, I believe, in law and history. <laughs> I did. So yeah. How did that get you into insurance and to where you are today? Any, any link at all?
1: No. Well, perhaps values-wise more than anything. So I, um, I mean, I crashed out of my GCSEs. I wasn't. I was not academic at all. Um, so didn't, didn't fail my GCSEs. Then we took them. filed my A levels. Then we took them my degree and was it was a pure like stubbornness i think more than anything which is not necessarily the best way to do it but that was that was the i want to get one so i'm gonna go and get one um uh, yes yeah, so i ended up doing law and history purely because that was the only thing i could get in clearing and I, it started with law as just a tiny element of the three and then i law became bigger and bigger the more that i realized i loved it um, but then towards the end, it just felt like I, I, I found myself thinking, I, I don't know whether personally I can, I can cope with the fact that you can only have access to the legal system for a lot of it if you've got money. And I found myself more and more thinking that that didn't sit right right and I know there's lots of other things but that was the big thing that I came away from I've really loved this but I don't know whether it is me um so I ended up doing for about a year after I did loads of jobs and um I did some voluntary work at the Citizens Advice Bureau for about a year and really enjoyed doing that um and then just got to the point where I thought I need to earn some money and I've got no idea what I want to do so somebody said do you fancy a job in insurance?" I said, Go on, then. Um, and
0: then it sort of went from there. Do you know what's really striking for me, actually, because as you speak about that, is that maybe either consciously or subconsciously, that that moment there from that, that degree when you said, actually, this this sector is misaligned to what I believe in. So as much as I love it, I can't do it anymore. That is really powerful.
1: It's um, It's probably something that has um being part probably of my journey for most of my career I think um, a really strong set of internal values which definitely come from family that's you know I can definitely see that how they've developed but that's come through really strongly and you know I, I would hope that I continue to bring that into my work but it's also it's definitely informed you Know some of my decisions and judgments about what I want to do and where
0: I want to go. Mm, that's, that's, I think it's really helpful as well. And thank you for sharing. I, I was not, well, I'm not naturally academic either. <laughs> I, I just think the education system for me is one of those bonkers things that, you know, where else in life do you spend three years and everything rests on the three hour exam? It's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you now I was just, but thank you for sharing that because I think for anyone that's listening that maybe has got kids or family or friends or they're volunteering, whatever. You know, I think the education system is shifting a little bit. It's trying to be a bit more vocational, but I think it's still far too entrenched in, yeah, you know, bums on seats and off grades, you know, define your net, you know, your life. Is, is that something that you see in terms of maybe some of your work with teams that, you know, that do people actually sort of know, do they know who they are to some extent, you know, coming into teams? Is that part of the challenge with crisis teams? Is like, what's their identity? as part of that team after a merger or something else, for example?
1: Hugely, hugely. Um, And I I think the, yeah, we we could talk for hours about my thoughts on the education system, but, you know, the idea that you are, um, your life, it feels like, is going to rest on how you perform in an exam or whether you're able to remember a piece of information not on all of the other skills that make you a fantastic human being, but also make you fantastic at jobs. You know, I, you know, I know people who, who, for whatever reason, school hasn't suited them at all, and yet they are the most conscientious. They are the most creative, the most innovative, the the best person you would want in your team. Just the fact that they couldn't remember Pythagoras change that no not at all and yet there are so many people that that we we write off when we do our short listing in businesses because it's easier for us to go tick english maths not get them in and get them to show us whether they can use a spreadsheet no we write them off by can you tick english math? anyway that's another conversation but Love with that. regards to team yes i think um identity and purpose and how i fit here and what i can bring and how i can bring the best of me to this is hugely important to people and when they go through a change um when when a business might shift direction or whether um, they're just in a new team because they've got a new job. There so is that period, I think, of of needing to resettle and just feel um, sure again of, of who I am and, and where I fit in things.
0: Mm. what well, what are some of the what are some of the most common challenges for what you see in your work around? You know, if we look at a merger situation, for example, what 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 are some of the common challenges that you come across as to why it, they, these teams can end up in crisis or it is so painful through an MA process.
1: I think that um, there's a really lovely piece of work by um, an Australian with um, great names called Gary Topchik. <laughs> and he's, um, I read this a number of years ago and it's all stuck in my head and he, he sort of talks about um, the things, three or four things that have the greatest impact and it sort of comes really it's linked to Dechi and Ryan's work if you know about those which are the, the sort of three motivators that we need um, and it's about that people feel um, worried or anxious about a loss of control so somebody else is choosing my direction for me um, a loss of competence or confidence so I won't be able to be who i was before whether that's the you know the go-to person that somebody went to for an answer or the person that you know had huge amounts of expertise and knew my stuff um and also a loss of community so the support networks that i had before i don't have anymore or it feels like i don't have um and i think that those those come up time and time again And and Ryan's. Um, work talked about the three motivators that we have are, or that we need are a, um, a sense of autonomy a sense of belonging and a sense of competence and actually the, you can see there's a real link between those two things and um, I think what happens is it's a bit like in when we make changes outside of work as well I think that we, we create a um, almost like a, a, a sort of framework around ourselves where everything feels like it has its place. And that helps us then to just go and do what we need to do. And when we change that, whether that's even something that like we want to do, like you know, moving house or you know, moving to a different part of the country, or or moving jobs. Um however much we want that there was just a period of we just have to resort things again so you know if we've lost that support network that we might have had in our old house and our old streets then we just have to find a way to get that back and i think there's definitely a sense that that people are searching for the point where they can get those things back and that's not about people not wanting to change but it's just justified, we, those foundations that have enabled us to just go and do things, we feel more secure to some extent when some of those foundations are back.
0: It's, Jesse, thanks for sharing that, it's really interesting. It's, what's jumping up for me as you talk about that, um, Kirsten, is actually when you talk about loss of control, um, you know, competence and community, Dan Pink's work comes up for me as well around yes, time So there's, there's quite a nice alignment between that. And like I say, I love that your use of the word foundation. Yeah. I think in this, you know, I don't use the term overused VUCA term, but fundamentally we're not going to slow down, are we, anytime soon in terms of what's required or technological change, etc. So having that foundation, that as in who am I, what do I believe in, what I feel part of, that belonging piece. If you've got that, you can be agile and flexible. If you don't have those bedrocks, those anchors, that's really the challenge, isn't it? Which is what I'm, what I'm picking up from
1: you. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's why when, you are, when you're in a team, so this is probably where with the, the work that I do in the NHS, you, you have um, people who are working with very different teams on a very regular basis. So you know, according to what shift pattern you're on, you will be working perhaps with a group of different people. And the other thing that you then add into the mix with the NHS is that you will then have to potentially deal with a life and death situation together with a group of people who aren't your team that you might sit with, you know, in a traditional office sense. So how you build that level of trust and understanding and communication very, very quickly to enable you to do that job is fundamental. And to me, that's where having a, a real sense both internally of, you know, what are my strengths? What what do I bring to a situation? And what is it that helps me to bring that to a situation? So whether that's, you know, being really um, thinking about how I communicate with other people or being really um, sure about who I am and what my purpose is in this situation or whether it's about overall in a ward or department being really clear about what our purpose is so you know whether I'm on with you know Joe and Suki or whether I'm on with Diane and John it doesn't matter because when we come together the, the purpose around us is still
0: the same. Oh, that's, that's a really powerful example. Like, do you know something? It, it just shows you how much I, I'm sure many of us, take the NHS for granted. You know, when do any of us sit down like we're doing now to reflect on that moment, you know, when someone, you know, enters or indeed leaves this earth? Like, and that moment of having to come together in a trusting, collaborative, purposeful environment, and you may not even know that person. That, that's mind-blowing. I've no, I, you know, I just wouldn't have even thought about that.
1: It's one of the examples that I use when I talk about high-performing teams. Because I don't think you can get a more high-performing team than a, an NHS team in a really critical situation. You know, the, the biggest... I remember talking to a, um, a group about this a year or so ago, and I was trying to sit down and think about what, what those teams did in the, that situation that enabled them to get that result. And the one thing that, that struck me more than anything was keeping your ego out of it. So you, you have to be willing to, to, to put your own ego to one side, to, to accept that in this moment, whether I really want to raise this view, um, but actually I know in my heart it's not, it's you know, somebody else has just raised it and that's fine. Um, or whether it's that you know I've got 27 years of experience but actually the person that we've agreed is leading us today has a year's experience and that's right then those are the things that make that situation really helpful both for the, the people working together because they understand almost the they understand the um, the guidelines with which they're coming together if that makes. Sense, I don't want to say rules, but you know they know when we come together in this moment, that's that's what we're there for. Um, I don't know whether you've you've ever come across a piece of work. um, as one of my heroes, and um, it's called Professor Michael West, and he's a um, a, a, an academic, and he he focuses on teams, and um, he's been a real driver in the NHS. They talk about compassionate leadership. And he's been a real driver around that. And um, one of the things that that he found we needed a, a huge piece of research is that there was a direct link between um, what what helps a group of people to work at them most effectively together and patient mortality. So there was a direct link between whether a patient survived. And that's regardless of their sort of clinical outcomes, and the way that that team works together, and things like ability to um, be open and honest with each other, to communicate clearly, to really absolutely know our job role and purpose, and so that we know no query about that, to trust each other implicitly and to know what our fundamental role and purpose was and that if you have those things then patient mortality decreases now i I, I use that in all of my work in the nhs um and to me anybody that says you know teamwork or even you know hr stuff is fluffy that's like the ultimate uh antithesis
0: to that. it, it, it is not. It, it's fundamental to how we do stuff. I just really, really love that's almost like you, you you couldn't I couldn't have asked for a better checklist of human centered traits. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for that. But, right. but you know if we check if we go through that just for, for people that are listening, you know, trust, open and clear, you know communication, you know, knowing your purpose. These are things that just aren't at the time. <laughs> They're not on the boardroom agenda. You know, it's, we're still so obsessed by the metrics and the outcome and cost rather than seeing human beings, what I class, as an investment. I'm really passionate about this. Every penny that we spend on a human being can appreciate exponentially. But unfortunately, the world of work still doesn't see it that way. Is that something you would challenge or you'd agree with? or?
1: I would absolutely challenge. And I would say that that's just as much of a challenge in the NHS as it is in corporate life. Mm-hmm. You know, just be, just because you are in a in a business that that has people's health as its you know agenda, uh, as opposed to something else, um, doesn't mean that you aren't still trying to run a business. Which mm-hmm. means that you know you have to make money go, you know, a certain way. You you have to balance the books. You have to be efficient on all of those things. Um, so yeah, I think. I think that there is a sense that the two always have to be combative, that, you know, it can either be, you know, we are compassionate and and human-centred and all of those things, or we're a really successful business that, you know, drives efficiency and delivers year-on-year profits. And I don't think like that. I think there is absolutely a place for combining the two. I think it has to be a true combination Mm -hmm. I don't think you can I don't think you can have them separate you know it's a bit like the whole you know you can have the greatest mission statement but if it just sits on a wall what's the point you know it has to be something that you I'd rather there was never a mission statement but if you went round to the business and asked anybody you know what's it about here that they would say something similar Um, And I think we would, I think if we focus on relationships and doing our best work through that and really talking and understanding and listening to each other, with the end goal of being able to deliver what we need to, whether that's public service or private or charity, then we would be hugely successful rather than, here's our task, how do we now use a relationship or build a relationship to get that done? It's a bit like stakeholders, isn't it? You know, you might look at, we need to be able to push this through, right, who do we need to go and have a conversation with to make it happen? To me, that's like the, the opposite way to what it should be. It should be that the relationships are where we focus our attention first And then as a result of that, it becomes easier then to have our really difficult, tough decisions. And, you know, if you've got a really strong basis of relationships, now that's not about it it being nice. You know, we can have really, really strong disagreements. We can, you know, have, we can give each other, you know, some really strong feedback, but the relationship, the foundation is there, there That enables us to then continue our work. It's like Burns model, isn't it? You know, the you know, at the at the top we've got peak rapport. You know, and if we can move through each of the stages and we get peak rapport, peak rapport doesn't mean mean you just have lovely conversations. It means we can challenge each other in the strongest terms, but then still be able to say, okay, so what do we need to work on tomorrow?
0: Uh, I, I, I think that's certainly one of the, the biggest challenges I see of our time is that ability, particularly in our polarized world right now is actually the ability to hear and empathize and see something through someone else's eyes. And I think that's one of the USPs of the future for me, I think is that ability to empathize. Yeah.
1: I feel like oh, you've got me all, all rolled up and passionate
0: now. <laughs> 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 love it. Love it. Love it. Um, if you think a little bit about your sort of work, because before we came on, I'm really interested for you to share with the listeners some of the sort of the workshops that you're running at the moment. Because so I found it really interesting um, how you're approaching some of this. Do you wouldn't mind just sharing maybe some of the sort of work you've been doing year to date and how that's maybe been a little bit different to normal?
1: Yeah, so um, it, we were having a chat just before we, we came on air about um, some work that I've been doing with teams. And I suppose I had done it... Um, I've done it perhaps a bit more spontaneously in work um, over the last few years, it's been an activity background, but it's something that I've done a little bit more extensive at the beginning of this year, and it's, it's I've been doing something called reflective debriefs with teams, which is, has been helping them to, um, to look at perhaps the last year um, or the last six months and reflect on that but using photos and pictures of stimulation um so one of the things that i always think is that you know if somebody asks you a question you know i don't know whether that's like what you enjoy know, about work or, or a question like that we either go to the surface answer that we give every time somebody asks us that question which is one that we generally don't think about very much or we go how on earth am i going to answer that question and I've experienced that in all the time that I've been working. So I, for a long time, I've used visuals, a few cards, to try and help people have that conversation. And there's something to find when you try and find a photo that sums up that. It, it almost gets to a greater level of depth. It's like when somebody asks you a really great, great coaching question. It, it, it takes you below the surface level. Answer that you would normally give. And it's the same with these photos. So, um, Pete, one of the, the activities that I might do is have a series of photos out, and then I'll ask people four or five questions. So, it might be, you know, when you think about the last year, what emotion has been most strong for you? Um, or, you know, if you were to bring your best self to work, what would that look like? Um, or, when you think about um, the coming year, what emotion would you like to be strongest um, or when you reflect on yourself last year what word best some what uh, photo best sums that up and the quality of both reflection and insight that you can get from that and conversation that you can get from that to me faster passes just a general question it might have with someone um, and those have often now become the beginning of this year Almost day-long sessions where we've used then some of the themes that have come out of those conversations into um, discussions and activities, and at the end of that, come up with a a plan of action which isn't just about the tasks that we need to do or the goals that we want to achieve. It's also about the emotions and themes that we want to um either encourage or create at the same time Um, and the the quality i think of discussion and the focus that you can get then is is much greater i think than perhaps some of the more formal you know let's plan for the future kind of sessions that that we might run more traditionally
0: John's jumping up for me as you described that, and I'm glad you mentioned it towards the end. I had a little note here to ask you how important do you feel emotion is in your work? And you sort of just summarized it brilliantly because I think that there is emotion really is the sort of it's either the door or the brick wall between what we've always done and actually how do we really want to operate in the future. I think personally, because we've, we've grown up, we've been socialized for so long now. Particularly men, but all of us, to not you know to not show weakness, to be invulnerable. You know, a big theme of this podcast, as you know, is around vulnerability. And what I'm sensing is that work that you do—it sounds beautiful work, actually—is done in a really safe space for people to allow to go to that emotional level. Would that be fair? Would that be a fair comment?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing is that we we sometimes have really rigid ideas of you know when we hear the word emotion, we think oh it's this or this or this. You know, it's either you know, somebody crying or somebody angry or somebody, you know, sad. Actually, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of different emotions, whether that's, you know, a feeling of isolation or whether it's a feeling of joy or whether it's feeling inspired or whether it's feeling disillusioned. And one of the things that, that um, for me, I do some work with teams on and individuals on resilience. It's about trying to be able to recognise the particular emotion that you're feeling at that time. And then noticing and, and helping people to think about the fact that that is what we are designed to do as human beings. You know, the, the word emotion comes from the Latin word motere, which means to move. You know, we, the first place we go to naturally is an emotion. And then that emotion drives us to act or respond. And that can be in a, a million different ways every day, not just, I think, in the very, very rigid ways that we tend to think of when we hear the word emotion. And if we can access those, you know, my, the strap line of my business is energising organisations, because to me, emotion and energy sit side by side. We can harness the emotions that help people to, to you know, make their best decisions or have their toughest conversation. Or feel the most inspired or creative, then it enables us to be able to get a, a, a business that is even more successful, but not at the expense of the way that people might feel about their work.
0: Cool, sure. I love that. Just uh, yes, something I I'm going to make some certain people laugh as they hear this podcast because you've got <laughs> you've, these little hairs going on end as you've done that bit about you know emotion is energy. I think that's a really Wonderful insight, I really do, and I've not heard it said that way before, Kirsten. Actually, and I think that's—I think that's really, really It's pa- a really powerful message. I think.
1: Oh, thank
0: you. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? If if, if if we if we all thought more about our emotions as a fuel source, as we do, as putting it in the car or food in our body, we'd probably be a bit more intentional about trying to feel those feelings more often, wouldn't we? Yeah, it,
1: it's. Um... You know, I suppose if you've ever heard of um, Kobe's idea of the emotional bank account, you know, it's similar to that, that, you know, we, what is it that recharges that re-energizes us and which of our emotions, you know, do that? I know, for instance, that if my energy is low and that can then lead to some emotions which might be, you know, that perhaps I don't feel particularly inspired or perhaps I um, you know, my creativity isn't as, as high as it could be or perhaps, you know, I feel, you know, uh, I don't know, um, uh, less energised about something that I've got to do. I know that if I go outside and walk in a certain ten minutes that I get a boost. And it's looking, I think, at the emotions that we either want to harness And being aware of that, which is where emotional intelligence comes in, being aware of those emotions and using them as a way to generate the energy that we want to, but also recognizing which emotions drain our energy. And we may not be able to do anything about that, but acknowledging that, okay, so this week, you know, potentially that's going to be quite draining for whatever reason. So, what do I need to balance that with in order to make sure that I'm okay? And as a business, what kinds of energies are we creating and how do we um, help to balance that with different types of energy? Oh,
0: the organisation as an energy ball metaphor in my mind is popping up here. That's a really, yeah. really interesting point though, isn't it? Because you, yeah. if, you, if you imagine you've got like atoms going off in every different direction, that's ultimately human beings. And it's, how, and it's not trying to suppress them it's actually how do you get those two interact with each other to to catalyze the best possible level of energy for the whole
1: yeah absolutely yeah i love that analogy it's how you um how you perhaps you know provide a you know a guide so you know almost like a path but you know the, the whole thing and i i do not know a lot about science but what i do know is that isn't it something about you know atoms are attracted or things attract atoms together or something like that but that to me is the idea that you, if you provide a, a strong enough energy source, people will be attracted to it, rather than you having to drag them, kicking and screwing into it.
0: Oh, my, my science isn't great either, but I just love what you just said, because it sounds great. <laughs> it resonates a lot. Yeah, all so.
1: scientists will be going, oh my word.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so just, not the way it happens.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's good enough for you and I. That's fine. <laughs> no, that's really cool though. I think that's, that's, that's really, really powerful. I love that. I really, really love that, en- that, en- that energy angle. Brilliant. Out of interest, what, just to segue a little bit into just a little bit more about you for, for the listeners. Um, who or what is inspiring you the most right now, Kirsten?
1: Um, I'm definitely feeling inspired by the term psychological safety in teams, which is Amy Evanson's work, Um, so that, I've been doing work around that, but that's really inspiring me at the moment, Um, and also I think to um, I think there's some things in um, organisations which we are scared of talking about. Um, And I'd love to see us feel the same level of ease in having a conversation about um, what it is that, you know, is it working for us at the moment or um, what's not great or what we wish was different. I'd love us to be having those kinds of conversations with the same ease as we do. Where do we need to challenge ourselves with this business focus? Because to me, if you're going to work as a team, then actually you have to accept that, you know, that team's not going to get on all the time just like a family doesn't get on, And I think we then, it becomes this massive thing that we, we fear. And that we feel so apprehensive about approaching. Whereas if we could just accept that, do you know what as a team it gets tricky and that's okay. We just need to think about having some conversations around that in the same whereas we would saying we're not meeting our target this month. Um, so yeah, that continues to inspire me, I think that's
0: uh, just something it's one of my big inspirations as well um i was was really grateful to have amy Edmondson on the podcast actually episode 29 and yeah her book the fearless organization is really really cool and i just it's it's mad isn't it psychological safety you know it's almost weird that we have to make it psychological to try and get people to understand this is important because if you said it was emotional safety people would run a mile so by saying psychological, people yeah. seem to be a little bit more open to actually having the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I oh, you're right.
0: Oh, wonderful. Good, good, good share. And also, just out of interest, so I've not been along to one of these yet, but you're a very big advocate for L&D co-work. For anyone that may be an entrepreneur or maybe work in a, a business that hasn't been before, here's your opportunity to pitch L&D co-work, Kirsten, to maybe someone that hasn't been before.
1: Okay, I'll sit up straight in my chair, Gary, so yes. I, um, I host the Birmingham branch of L&D Co-op uh, and co work and they are a, a, a sort of national, I think it's about eight or nine now across the country um, and what attracted me to host it in the first place, it was set up by um, uh, Fiona McBride and Michelle Paris-Later was that I absolutely love running my own business and working on my own, I love it but you know all the advantages that come with that but the one thing that I missed was when I used to sit across the desk from someone and I used to go, Oh, I've got an idea. Can I chat to you about it? And we used to bounce ideas off or, you know, I'd perhaps like come back after, you know, a day that had, you know, had been tough and say, can I just, I could just do with chat me stro Um All, to have somebody challenge my own thinking about my business not necessarily about my the work I do about, about my business and I found that it was really difficult to to get that I've got people that I could bring up but I almost wanted more than that um, and co-work is a day once a month that we spend together where um, as long as it's got good wi-fi good coffee and it's conducive to a good conversation and um, you bring along your work and it's a mixture really of you know head down and getting on with a bit of work getting in the company with other people for a little bit um but also just having the opportunity to support and encourage each other or share ideas or a bit of coaching um and it's a lovely thing it's a real highlight of my month and it's a great way to um share what you do um celebrate what you do but also just to get um
0: a bit of, of a familiar boost as well no, that's lovely no i just wanted you to, to explain that a bit more detail because i just think it's so important you know the age of technology which is great you and i can record this podcast now over tech but it's never going to be the same as being able to see someone's whites of their eyes and have that human interaction and i just think what you're doing with that lnd co and, and kudos to uh, michelle and uh, fiona is just It's almost like blended learning, isn't it? It's like you get the face-to-face bit and you can also then do the online bit. It's like the ultimate blended learning for me in a way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And there is something about that sense of community, of, you know, you come together and you sit together and you work together for the day. That is just a lovely thing.
0: Wonderful. Well, look, as we look to wrap up, because you are an inspiring lady, Kirsten, I have to say. (laughs) You are, no, but you are, because you're, you're, you've got a big heart, and I know that, you've, that you do work with um, you know, Standard Ovation, with Anthony there, and also, I, I notice you're also a mentor for the Aspire Foundation as well. Yeah. So, you know, you do a lot of, so I just wanted to put a shout out and say thank you for that work you do, because so I think it's really, it's, it's not always, it's like the unsung hero thing, people don't always talk about their volunteering, and I think, you know, is such an important thing that is often underplayed, so I just wanted to thank you for that, I think it's amazing.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I get I get more out of it and than, you know, I put in it. Um, both of those have been hugely um, inspiring to me. Um, yeah. Innovation and how- and how- is a brilliant, brilliant thing. Shout out to um, to Anthony in Birmingham, um, raising the self esteem of kids at school. I mean, what is more important than that? And um yeah he's just a fantastic guy and and somebody that i feel hugely lucky to to do some work with
0: wonderful well i'll, I'll make sure we put a little link to him in the show notes and in addition yeah, to that, what we'll put in the show notes as well are your contact details if you wouldn't mind as we just uh, look to finish how can people contact you if they want to follow up the conversation or learn more about the workshops that you offer
1: yep yeah, so you can uh i'm on twitter um kirsten l holder uh, on linkedin uh, website kickstartdevelopment.co.uk um, and yeah I love nothing more than to chat in quite a strong Brummie accents although I may have put my telephone voice on for today I'm not sure um, yeah so I love to chat and get involved and if you're around Birmingham then um, yeah we can meet up back up and stuff as well uh, yeah mm-hmm. uh, it's been a real I've absolutely loved nattering on see you today Gary <laughs> It
0: doesn't take much later. Start talking. Oh no, it's wonderful. Actually, you shared so much, absolutely brilliant. And by the way, you've still got your Brummy accent and it's brilliant. So don't lose it. (laughs) Have a (laughs) great day. Thanks for your time.
1: Brilliant. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Bye-bye.